Welcome to From the Heart with Daryl Underwood, pastor of Servant's Heart Chapel in Clovis, New Mexico. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here's Pastor Daryl. Can anyone guess what today's sermon is on? Anyone besides Missy? What are they? Three things I suggest everybody do every day for spiritual success. What's the third thing? Read, pray, and you already knew that. I told you not to answer it. Yes, read, pray, and obey. For the past six years at Servant's Heart Chapel, with new Christians, I always tell them, in order to be successful in your walk with God, is to read, pray, and obey. Now, obedience, I got my list of uh, Christian disciplines from the, from the book Christian Disciplines, and it has ten. Obedience is not one of them. I thought that was interesting. I think it's an important Christian discipline, if not the most important Christian discipline is obedience. If we, we have lots of verses uh, to go through today, but if we had one key verse, it would be Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, that simply says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. Where God calls the people to obey his voice, and he will be their God. And Andrew Murray, I mentioned uh, last Sunday, written a lot of books on prayer. Uh, well, he actually wrote a book on obedience. Uh, the, it's entitled Life of Obedience. Really good book, really easy read, only like 114 pages. Uh, very succinct to the point. But at the beginning of the book, he makes a case that I wanted to share with you. He talks about how in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God tells Adam and Eve that they need to obey to access, to continue to access the tree of life, to continue to have eternal life. They needed to obey him. And if you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, People are once again called to obey in order to access the tree of life. And Andrew Murray wrote, from beginning to end, from paradise lost to paradise regained, the law is unchanged. It is obedience that gives you access to the tree of life and the favor of God. It is obedience to him. You know, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 16, uh, in Deuteronomy, God laid out what his expectations were for the people of Israel. And there is a summary at the end of this. And in verse 16, it says, The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances, follow them carefully, 
with all your heart and all your soul. So you're expected to give everything, give 100% in your endeavor to obey God's law. There's a tra the, the Bible is full of tragedies, of tragic stories of people who did not do that. They decided that they're going to do what they want to do anyways. And, and the one tragedy that came to mind for me is the tragedy of Saul. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this story. We have a lot to cover today, and I don't want, I prefer not to make it a two-Sunday sermon because I'm trying to squeeze everything into this year. But if you don't know anything about the story of Saul, you know Saul was Israel's first king. He started out very humble. He was a very humble guy, did not want to be in charge. In fact, he went and hid from Samuel. And by the way, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Kind of hard for him to hide in the crowd. But he tried anyways. And God gave him up. Samuel couldn't find him and God said, he's over there. And he became king. But something happened. Saul uh, started thinking a little more of himself than he should have. And, and didn't take God seriously. Started disrespecting God. And in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, we see that Samuel told Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now listen. Listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites, and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Destroy everything. Verse 4, Then Saul summoned the troops and counted them. So he summoned the troops, got them together. Verse 7, he struck down all of them. Except, verse 9, Saul and the troops spared Agag, it's a king, and the best of the sheep, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything. He disobeyed God. God said destroy everything, and they spared uh, some of the best animals and the king uh, of the Amalekites. Now when Samuel came to him, verse 13, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He lied. And then Samuel replied, What is the sound of sheep and cattle I hear? If you obey the Lord's instructions. And Saul answered, Well, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and, and spared the best sheep in order to offer the sacrifice. It's the troops' fault. It's not my fault. He started blaming Verse 19, so why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush and plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? And he starts arguing, but I did obey the Lord, but he didn't. 
I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. But he didn't. It's the troops. The troops took back the sheep and, and plunder. And then Samuel said, look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And defiance is like wickedness of idolatry because you rejected the Lord of God. He has rejected you as king. So at that point, Saul was knew his time as king was coming to an end because he had disobeyed God. All because he couldn't follow instructions. We take sin so lightly. We, we, we dismiss it. It's so easy to, to not take seriously. And, and new Christians, I've seen new Christians, they'll do great until God puts his thumb on something in their life that they don't want to give up, and then it all goes downhill. And we've seen that in the story of my friend and, and your friend as well, Cornelius. And Cornelius has given me permission to share his story in this regard. I met Cornelius in 2013 as we were getting the church ready. He was not a Christian. In July of 2013, he gave his heart to the Lord and began to make changes in his life. And, and we dealt with uh, uh, problems with his, his former gang members. We had issues with that. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But he got throughout the Lord, got him safely through that, and he began to grow in the Lord and, and, and do, continue to do well. And he became a member of this church. He became a leader of this church. But at some point, at some point, Cornelius said no to God. And it's almost always something Seemingly inconsequential. I don't know what it could have been. It might have been his smoking. You know, when so I have a new Christian, I, 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 I keep certain things in myself. I wait for the Holy Spirit to guide a person and to reveal certain things. And one day Cornelius, as we were talking, just out of the blue, he said, you know, I think God wants me to stop smoking. And I was like, all right, let's do it then. But he never did. It might have been that. It might have been uh, women. It might have been uh, just a temptation for making easy money because he knew how to make money quick doing illegal activities. I don't know exactly what it was, but there was something that changed in him. I could tell in church. He'd come to church, but his countenance had changed. It wasn't the same. There was something wrong. And then he began to miss church here and there, which we see as a normal, normal thing when someone backslides. Because when you know something's wrong in your heart, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable coming to church because 
the whole time you're just thinking about that sin that you know the Lord isn't pleased with. It's not fun coming to church. So you start finding excuses to not come to church. And, and so you start missing. And he did. He continued to miss. And then he was gone altogether. And, and then he uh, ended up back in jail. And he called for me to come visit him. And I visited him. This was last year. And he, and, and he seemed like, I'm, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to do what's right. And he gets out of jail. And he disappears again. Back into the old life, the gang lifestyle. And back in jail again. And Cornelius uh, wrote a letter. Part of it was to the church. He wrote, I want to talk about something that you asked in the visitation. I'd like to change my answer to the question you asked about asked me about taking from the church. I had asked him if he'd ever stolen from the church. Because I really wasn't sure. After thinking, and he told me no. He had not, to his knowledge, he had not ever stolen anything from the church. He was thinking about it. He said, I have stolen from the church. Not a material theft, but the same but all the same, it's a theft. I've stolen from each member of the church that believed in me and my walk with God. I stole the love that they gave me, the time they have spent in prayer, all the things that they have done to help me. I stole the time we can't get back as a family that we could have just used to grow stronger together getting closer as a family and as a church. I stole joy from you all and replaced it with worry. I stole my presence from you all in the church. I, I stole comfort and gave pain and uncertainty. And for these things, I apologize and ask that my church family and the family forgives me as well as anything I may not remember I've done to any individual in our church or to the church. He wrote how he apologized to his daughter, Tamira, for disappointing her. Cornelius is dealing with a lot of regret right now. And he's in a situation he should not be in, all because he decided to disobey God. This all started with a small moment of decision. It seemed inconsequential. Uh, God, I, I know you would want me to do this or stop doing that, but I don't want to. I want to do what I want to do. And then he followed a path, and that path led him back to jail. He should not be there. He should be here. He should still be a leader in the church, possibly even an assistant pastor. But that's gone. We take disobedience so lightly and there's such a destructive cost. Disobedience is sin and sin destroys. It destroys marriages. It's right now, 
a marriage is being destroyed because of sin. Right now, a relationship between family members or friends is being destroyed because of sin. Right now, someone's career is being destroyed because of sin. Someone's life is being destroyed because of sin. Right now, a child's innocence is being stolen away from them because of sin. We just had a um, moral service for a young lady. And by the way, Missy and Tim, thank you so much for your help with that. I appreciate it. That made it just a, a nice, comforting time for them, and, and I really appreciate that. But that girl should not be dead. She should not have lived the life of physical pain, physical limitations that she did. She lived all of her life in a wheelchair in and out of the hospital because 17 years ago her father lost his temper and beat her, his three-year-old daughter, to a pulp. Almost killed her because of sin. And, and, and that sin was probably initiated by his dad who lost his temper with him and would beat him down. I don't get it sometimes. If, if obedience brings blessings and sin brings pain, why do people have a hard time giving up sin? Why don't people obey God completely? Well, I have some answers for that. Number one, people don't always uh, obey God completely because it's difficult. It's not the easy way, not the easy path. There's a challenge to it. You have to tell your flesh no. You have to uh, be inconvenienced, which leads us to number two, it's uncomfortable. It's to stand out, maybe even being called a holy roller, or I, I Bible thumper, or Jesus freak, or any of the myriad of names, asparagus. I noticed Popeye's chicken has started uh, a advertising campaign kind of making fun of the fact that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. That's to be expected. That's the kind of stuff that happens. And so to do what's right, it can be uncomfortable, and it's easy to go along with the flow and not be obey God completely because it's uncomfortable. Number three, we think we know better. People tend to not obey God completely because, oh, I know better. This, this, this is okay. It's okay to do this. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anybody. We think we actually know better than God. 
Number four, we think a particular situation calls for an exception. Kind of like knowing better, but a little bit different. I wouldn't normally do this, but I kind of have to. I know one guy would constantly try to get me to compromise in that area. He'd have a hard time finding work, but he would always seemingly get opportunities and types of work that are not Christians. Christian. Working at a bar, strip club, gambling facility. Oh, I got I gotta have work, Pastor Darrell. I got I gotta get paid. He wanted me to compromise. Funny thing is, God always seemed to give him opportunities in other areas. Number five, uh, this is a common reason why we don't obey God completely. We don't know how. We feel powerless. The devil has tricked us into thinking that we can't overcome it. We can't overcome an addiction. We're powerless. The guy's in tears about their struggles. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, you name it. They don't think that Jesus can help them. My situation is different. That's what they say. Number six, reason why people don't obey God completely is we don't see the impact. We think, oh, it's just a small sin, Lord. It's not that big a deal. It's not going to hurt anything. I'll just flip through these pages, web pages. No one's hurt. No one's going to know about it. I'll just, I'll just flirt with, with, with the girl or the guy at, at, at work and no one's going to know or care. It's not that big of a deal. We don't see the impact. We don't see the destruction that, that's coming. And finally, the reason we don't want another reason that I the final reason I could think of, and probably more reasons, by the way, this is just what I could come up with. The final reason I could think of why we don't obey God completely, pride. I can't humble myself and say, God's in charge of my life. We all want to be partners with God. God, thank you for saving me. Now I'm gonna be on my way and do my thing. And I'll check in with you once in a while. Especially if I could use some money. But see, God expects obedience. Complete obedience. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, I, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? A lot of people that call themselves Christians will not get to heaven. He said, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not the one that goes to church all the time. Well, not the one that follows you know, the standards of attire. Not the one that goes down to the soup kitchen and does some, a bunch of wonderful stuff. 
but the one that does God's will. We can't earn our way to heaven, but there's an expectation that Jesus has bought us, we belong to Him now, and He expects us to follow after Him, to obey His voice. God commands us to live in perfect obedience to Him and empowers us to do so by the aid of the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible says, do not have other gods besides me, then we worship and live for only God. When the Bible says, do not make an idol for yourself, we, we don't love anything more than God. When the Bible says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, we don't cuss God's name. When the Bible says, keep the Sabbath holy, we keep Sunday in its proper place for our refreshment and God's glory. When the Bible says, honor your father and mother, we don't despise them, we don't look down upon them, but we treat them with respect. When the Bible says, do not murder, obviously we don't murder, nor do we even hate, because Jesus said to hate somebody is to commit murder in your heart. When the Bible says, do not commit adultery, we do not sleep with someone who is not our spouse, nor do we even fantasize about it, because the Bible says, Jesus says, that if you fantasize about that, unless after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. When the Bible says, do not steal, we don't steal. We don't take things that belong to someone else. When the Bible, and by the way, you can steal in other ways. You can steal your company's work time. Clearly goofing off when you know stuff can be, you can be doing something. A lot of people will take a lot of bathroom breaks. When the Bible says don't give dishonest testimony against your neighbor, then we don't lie about anybody. When the Bible says do not yearn to have anything that belongs to your neighbor, don't covet, don't yearn for what belongs to someone else, then we are content with what God has provided us. When the Bible says I chose you before I formed you in the womb, then we protect the lives of the unborn because they were created by God. When the Bible says males who have sex with males, greedy people, drunkards, verbally, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God, then we do not take part in any of those sins. When the Bible says take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth, then we not only oppose what is evil, we embrace Christian modesty, holy character, noble standards, and Christ-honoring carefulness in attire, conversation, entertainment, in every area of life. Amen? When the Bible says it's a good thing not to drink wine or anything that causes your brother or sister to stumble, 
then we abstain from social drinking or any entertainment that may cause someone else to sin. I remember one time Shina came into the living room and she she wanted to watch. Oh, what's the one with the brides wearing the dresses? Say yes to the dress. She wanted to watch. She say yes to the dress where the brides try on different dresses. And I said I can't watch that. I started to watch it before, and there's just there's a lot of immodesty, and I don't be tempted to lust. And she immediately. Okay, hey, no problem with that. Why? Because she cares about her dad. And she doesn't want to cause me to stumble. And the Bible says that no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building someone up in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Then we refrain from from uncharitable conversation, gossip, and any form of malicious speech to include social media. There's a concerning trend on social media, even in our Christian circles. Missy and I have noticed more and more people getting comfortable with, with tearing others down. Christians don't do that. We don't tear people down. We build people up. If I have a problem with somebody, I go to them in private and we work it out. That's what Christians do. When, when the Bible says that we are not to wear extravagant clothing or jewelry, that clothes are meant to cover nakedness, and not to bring attention to nakedness, then we don't wear flashy clothes or jewelry, and we make sure we're covered from neck to knee. We don't want to cause anybody to stumble. There, there was, I, being kind of away from other holiness churches, as we're so far out west, uh, it's hard to know what the trends are, but I know not long ago there was this disturbing trend where the women would keep their sleeves longer, but their, their neckline was going lower and lower and lower. That's immodest. That's not... It's supposed to be, clothing is supposed to be loose enough and, and so not form-fitting and it's supposed to cover. Not, be, not that uh, our, the, the body God created us is disgusting and embarrassing, but because it is holy and wonderful and sacred. The holy of holies in the tabernacle. That one room was so special that almost no one ever saw that room. One priest, once a year, would go in there and see the room. Why? Because it was special. And that's how I see the body that God has created for us.
When the Bible says we're supposed to live lives that glorify God and not glorify sin, then we don't participate in events where the atmosphere is ungodly. We don't do that. We don't go to places that would reflect poorly on our Christian testimony. We don't waste money on gambling. We don't dress immodestly like you might see at a beach. We don't participate in sensual activities outside of marriage, which is very common in dancing environments. We refrain from those activities. We preserve the marriage bonds. We glorify Christ. Andrew Murray, in the same book that I mentioned earlier, was quoted as saying, the secret of true obedience is a clear and close personal relationship with God. I've been talking a lot about how important it is to obey God. Here's the secret to success in obedience, and that is a close personal relationship with God. You know it begins in the heart. I've known people that were very good at going through the motions. They wore the right clothes. They said the right thing in church. They sang loud during service. They may even give some testimonies. But their heart was not surrendered to God. How do you know that, Pastor Darrell? Because I was a kid, and I'd go home with them, and their home life was very different than what they were portraying in church. We don't want to be a hypocrite. We want to be surrendered to God from the heart. And staying close to God is really very simple. God gives us opportunities to help maintain our closeness to Him. There's two very common ways. One is what we're doing right now. We take time out on Sunday. Sunday is time out day. Time out from life. Time out from work. From school. From our... Because I don't know about you... I know some of you are like me. We go nonstop, don't we? Boy, just from the time we get up, time we go to bed. Boom, 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 boom. And we need a break. We need that time out. We do that on Sunday where we spend time with the Lord in worship and with family and just resting. There's a value in resting. Sometimes taking a nap can be the, the, the most holy thing you can do at the moment. Did you know that? I believe that. And Sunday keeps us close to God and it gives you time. When I'm preaching, I hope, you know, I, I don't I don't expect that I'm gonna come up with some amazing thing that is gonna you're I'm gonna you're gonna hear me say it and it's so eloquent and amazing that you're gonna wow, that's life changing. I don't expect that. I, I study and I pray and I come up with what comes to mind and then I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you. So as you're sitting there and you hear a little thing here and there, what I'm talking about, something that comes in mind, the Holy Spirit can speak to you on something, encourage you, challenge you, convict you, whatever needs to happen to keep you close to God. So not only Sunday keeps us close to God, but also those early morning hours, those quiet hours when we get up, ready to start the day. Those are so important. 
so special. Don't waste it. Just take time with God. Before I get to social media and, and start my day with whatever, I'm going to take time out with the Lord. I swing by here, most, not every day, but a lot of days on weekdays. I leave for work, I swing by here, and I spend time in prayer before I head into work. Me and God here, quiet, early morning hours. That keeps us close to God. That's what's going to help you. So maybe you say, Pastor Daryl, I, uh, I I want to follow after God. I, there are some areas of my life that isn't lined up correctly. I need. I, I don't know what to do next. It's really simple. Step number one: confess and forsake your sin. Just tell God about it and decide from here on out, I'm done. No more. Number two, you got to believe that obedience is possible. God is not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. That'd be mean. That'd be cruel, wouldn't it? I tell you, you do this. You need to jump 100 feet in the air. How, how frustrating would that be? To find out God expects me to jump 100 feet in the air. I can't do that. I might be able to clear one foot. But God's not that way. So we need to believe that obedience is possible and ask God for help. And then number three, we need to surrender. Give everything up to God. God, everything belongs to you. My phone belongs to you. My, my, I, I, whatever I own, all I own owns to you. My friendships belong to you. My job belongs to you, God. My car, it's all yours. My life, my heart belongs to you. Just surrender to Him. Those three things. And that will get you on the right track to living a life of obedience. It is the way to go. It is the way to go. As I have lived in obedience to God, I have uh, passed so many pitfalls and pain and suffering and anguish. And those times where I had failed, I disobeyed God, I thought, oh, it's just a little sin, not a big deal, and it became a big deal. That was so painful. Like, I don't want to do that ever again. I don't want it ever to happen again. I want to stay as far from sin as I possibly can and protect myself and my family from all that foolishness. I am so much happier when I live life in obedience to God. So that is our third discipline in our habits for holiness. May the Lord help each and every one of us remain faithful and obedient to Him. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button. Also, take some time to rate us. 
Feel free to check out our website at ServantsHeartChapel.org and you can email us at ServantsHeartChapel at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a blessed week.